I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world it didn't make sense. Open the pod bay doors I'm sorry, Jan. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the most you ever lost in the contest? Go ahead. Make my day. Hello, and welcome to this week's instalment of Black Hole Cinema. That's right, I'm back again. Dan Taylor here. And unfortunately, I'm not at the BAFTAs tonight, as we're recording on BAFTA night, but a man who is, is our first guest, Mr. Matt Laven. Hello, everyone. What's going on? I'm currently in a building opposite, because they wouldn't let me in. Oh, but, um, I'm currently I'm currently looking at a window with some binoculars, hopefully x-ray, I haven't got that functionality working, but I will... I'll make sure I will let people know what's happening if anything interesting happens. Can I put out, he's not actually at the BAFTAs, he's just in his house. He spoiled the illusion. <laughs> uh, a man I hope who's not wearing binoculars <laughs> is from failedcritics.com and Letterbox, Mr. Owen Hughes. Hello, Owen. How are you doing? Hello. Um, you, you want to plug your podcast, so this is, this is your moment. <laughs> this is it. I get to do a bit of free advertising. Yeah. yeah. Right at uh, the beginning. <laughs> right at the beginning, yeah, that's good. So people can't just turn off before I do my little advert. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, I'm from failedcritics.com. Uh, we have a weekly film podcast as well. So thanks for letting a rival on <laughs> to your podcast, Tony. And uh, yeah, so we review films every week, new releases, similar sort of format, and have lots of stuff, interesting things that go up on the website. And how, how, how am I doing for time for plugging my podcast? How much <laughs> space do I get? Five. Four. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, that'll do. Depends how much I cut. <laughs> no, I'm not going to rush you, but it's Monday. <laughs> and of course, the man of himself is also here, Mr. Tony Black. Hello. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was expecting a more gravi- you know, you know, gravitas in that intro there, but you didn't quite. Hello. <laughs> I, uh, I don't have anything to plug. I because uh, this is my podcast, so that would be a bit weird, wouldn't it? To plug my own podcast that you're already listening to. So, but it's nice to have Owen here. Anyway, a new guy on the podcast. Um, that's two in two weeks. We're doing quite well. Our, our plan to systematically get rid of Laden is working. Yes. So, so yes. He's, you know, he's turned up this week. But lovely. And we've got five reviews coming out for you on the show. Um, we've had the hotly anticipated big screen adaptation of the Mark Miller and David Gibbons comic, Kingsman The Secret Service. We also have Inherent Vice, directed by the masters Paul Thomas Anderson, Disney's Big Hero 6, Oscar-nominated Selma, and up first, the long-awaited sci-fi Jupiter Ascending. We've been taught that the birthplace of the human race is Earth, but it's not. <laughs> Do you know what this will do to people when they find out the truth? I don't think that most people would want to know the truth. I do. Your planet was seeded by a brass axe industries roughly 100,000 years ago. 
It's one of the most powerful dynasties in the universe. There are three primary heirs. The oldest is Belem. He's the one that controls this planet and wants you dead. I'm telling you, I'm nobody. You are royalty. What about the girl? Still alive. Bring her to me. Jupiter Ascending, starring Mila Kunis, Channing Tatum, and Mr. Sean Bean, as well as returning Eddie Redmayne to the podcast as well. In a bright and colourful future, a young, destitute caretaker gets targeted by a ruthless son of a powerful family that lives on a planet in need of a new heir. So she travels with a genetically engineered warrior to the planet in order to stop his tyrant reign. Was it worth waiting for, Tony? Um, well... No. <laughs> We've waited all these years for it, and it was a disappointment. The thing is with it, I suppose, the, the big thing was, it was it was delayed. It was the Wachowskis, it was sci-fi, it was, you know, a rising star in Channing Tatum. And, you know, it, it's, got, it's had a lot of slack and a, a, lot, a lot of flack thrown at it. And it's, it, the thing is, it's not that bad. If, if I, not, the last lot of three podcasts, I've been able to rant about something. And I've quite enjoyed that. <laughs> I've quite enjoyed being able to have the one film of the week I can rant about. But And I did wonder, I thought maybe Jupiter Ascending is going to be it this week. Alas, it's not. Because it's not. I mean, Owen might, might well come on and rant about it, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> he might come on and rant. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe. But um, for me, it was, it was just quite a basic sci-fi picture that had a lot of ideas over substance, really. It was the kind of film that he's talking about a great many things. You know, it's all about uh, genetics. It's all about genetic superiority. It's about uh, families. It's about, you know, the, it's a Cinderella story, basically. A, a space opera Cinderella. Where I did see that described um, on my friend uh, Chris Wilson's uh, review. Um, shout out to Chris. Um, he called it a space opera Cinderella. And he's, I think I completely agree. It is a Cinderella story in many ways. With uh, Mila Kunis's Jupiter. Um, titular Jupiter as she uh, discovers that she has a very sort of spacey inheritance it's just got a, it's just got a, a lot of stuff in the pot you know it's, it's trying to hit a lot of themes it's trying to hit a lot of ideas it, but it doesn't have any soul it doesn't have any real power to it you know it's, it, it looks amazing you know it, you can tell a lot of work's going onto the creative side you know there's a hell of a lot of, there's a great production design there's, the effects are brilliant um, in many places They've, they've gone to a lot of trouble to do that and you know there, there are hints of Wachowski kind of you know mindset in there as well with the, um, the there's a Buddhism thing going on as well at one point there's a lot of reincarnation stuff in there as well you know so there's this Buddhist angle it, there's also this capitalist one as well there's, there's a big vein of capitalism running through it as well because the main villains are basically a capitalist industry family who are out to you know harvest the universe so there's, there's all these things going under it but it's got a lot of conversations that are basically, you're entitled. What does that mean? Oh, uh, that means you're entitled to blah, 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 um, as part of uh, Abrasax Industries. What's Abrasax Industries? Well, it's a, it's a big conglomerate in space, and there's a lot of things, uh, but it means that you're, you're your majesty. Why am I called your majesty? Well, there's a, there's a long uh, treaty about the houses of blah, 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 so blah, blah, blah. So is it Wikipedia the movie? Either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lot, lot, lots of telling, but no showing. Imagine if in Game of Thrones, which I don't know if any, if most people I'm assuming have watched, imagine if in Game of Thrones they spent every episode with about half of the, half of the running time explaining everything, all the backstory. Right, that's basically what this is. Okay, there's a hell of a lot of backstory to it. There's a hell of a lot of world building, but there is just no sort of immediate power to it. And it, it, it's it's fairly decently written. You know, it's a decent cast. Sean Bean's in it, and he doesn't die. Spoiler. <laughs> oh, cheers! I'm not going to watch it. Again. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not going to bother. I know there's no point. If Sean Bean doesn't die. What's the point of the film? And uh, you know, Channing Tatum's alright plays a lunkhead action man fair enough even though he's got like pointed silly elf ears that make him look like a you know a, a an elf reject. yeah well, uh, alright an elf <laughs> yeah. and then you've got Eddie Redmayne who's single handedly gone from the best performance possibly of the year in the theory of everything to a performance as the villain where he's basically doing this voice for the whole film I am evil so I'm going to talk like this Oh, I'm going to kill you all if you don't give me what I want. I'm not even exaggerating. That's exactly how he sounds. Sounds like he needs a mint, right, or some sort of <laughs> lozenge, 
It's a Halls commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel it's going to be a regular feature that Tony does impressions. (laughs) (laughs) It does seem to be a weekly thing, doesn't it? No better for him than me. (laughs) Yes, not you. Um, but when I came well, I'd, rather, I'd rather listen to Tony doing more impressions of Eddie Redmayne than watch Eddie Redmayne yeah, again, to be honest. Well, in the, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the greatest performance at all. And you asked me when, we, when I came out the cinema and I met you, Matt, today, um, when I told you about Eddie Redmayne, you said, is, is, he, is he doing it knowingly? A knowingly sort of camp villain performance. And I'm not sure he was. Really. <laughs> I think he's just sort of been told, play very sort of bad, bad guy British and that's the other thing the film doesn't have it doesn't have really that much humour it thinks it does it thinks it has lots of like witty little moments and you know this, this banter and this interplay it doesn't really you know there's not really much chemistry between the characters there's not much humour it takes itself very seriously it's got all these arch themes um, lots of action lots of explosions um, but a very sort of predictable through line and it's I wish I could say it was awful but I can't because it's not well, the register.co.uk called it a laughable train wreck of a film. No. And on Twitter, Owen, you said it was an utter mess. Can't elaborate. <laughs> yeah, it is. An, I thought it was an absolute utter travesty of a film. I don't know where to no, begin with disagreeing with Tony. Because I know this is like my first appearance on the podcast, so it's a bit of a faux pas. But yeah, I, I thought it was a terrible film. I'm glad someone's ranting. It won't be a black hole cinema without a rant, so good man. Okay, I'll bring the rant this time. Bring the Um, rant. Yeah, if I had to kind of describe it in about, well, in six words, I'd call it an atrocious science fiction fantasy medley. That's four words, isn't it? Well, five if you can, Anne. There we go. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because it's it's just a mashup of everything. There's there's Soylent Green that's in there. There's a bit of Firefly and Serenity. Um, you know, there's Brazil that oddly pops up there, Star mm. Wars, Labyrinth, you know, it's all of those films, but without any of the joy or mm. the wit or the, the Bowie factor, I suppose, of mm. Labyrinth. But, you know, it's kind of, it just lacks any form of interest or underlying current, I thought. And it's interesting that, that you, you touched, on, touched on the point of it having a sort of deeper meaning, Tony, because I thought they, they were trying to put things in there. Mm. You know, it's not. A, it, it it is a little bit of a sh- quite a shallow film, but I think oh, yeah, they were trying yeah. to put messages in there. Just, I don't think they pulled it off very well. No, they, they um, didn't. They they were they I, yeah they were trying to trying to make layer it. But no, I, I do agree with you in the sense that it's shallow and it's got no soul and no mm. real humour. It, it is empty. It is empty. Um, I just yeah, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as say it's a mess personally. I think it, I think it's relatively well constructed, but it's there's nothing to it. It is just souls. Mm. It is just. You know, bland fodder. Uh, just... News just in from the BAFTAs. BAFTAs, any Kasabian fans? Um, no, there aren't um, any. No, are they playing on. live, are they? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, they are. And, oh, right. <laughs> and I'm currently ordering a taxi to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the taxi seems to be a Kasabian fan. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, 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 don't worry, I'll power through from over here. Good, good. I'm, I'm glad that Kasabian are playing the BAFTAs yes. live. Can we get back to my review now? <laughs> Are we on? Yes. <laughs> I, just, I just thought it was a, per, a like a public warning that if anyone was going to go and try and catch the BAFTAs yeah. later on, if they were catching a repeat for some reason... Like a PSA? After, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a public service announcement, <laughs> that they must know that they have to avoid the Kasabian. <laughs> the Kasabian. The Kasabian. Yes. Right, good. Avoid the Kasabian. But yeah, it's... I don't really have much more to say about it, if I'm honest. It, it's just, it's just, it just exists, really. And it was, I didn't say, I can't say I didn't enjoy it. I just, I just didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> it's just you didn't a bit hate of, it. yeah, no, I didn't hate it, no. And I wish I had because then I could rant like I was. No, yeah. what the fuck was Sean that all that bee stuff about? There's a whole, there's a whole thing in it where <laughs> all the bees apparently on Earth are genetically, genetically programmed to detect royalty. I'm not making that up, right? They are genetically programmed to sense royals. So then they buzz around Mila Kunis when she's a royalty and she's there floating her arms around with bees. Well, Sean Bean's probably watching going, what the fuck am I doing in this? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, to be honest, I've never heard of a bee sting the queen. So, you know, more well, than truth, did it? Maybe they were chasing his absolute don't they? Okay, well, any closing statements then, boys? <laughs> I'm sorry, I've just got this image now of the Queen going into some sort of <laughs> in a bunker and saying, Are you ready? Unleash the bees! And there's suddenly like... Not every... the bees! Not the bees! <laughs> and suddenly, like, suddenly a wave of bees targeting like 
anti-royalists. Like going, yeah. Look at those bastards against <laughs> us now. <laughs> I, I think personally, I think that's the best closing statement we could have on Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, well, as it stands at five past nine, uh, the BAFTA's winning checklist stands at Grand Budapest Hotel with four, The Fear of Everything with three, and Whiplash with three, and also Boyhood with three. So they all seem to be picking up some awards, um, other, other than Birdman. I don't know if that's won anything yet, but um, I'm surprised at that. Behind. I thought Birdman would start to clean up. I must, at this point, use the opportunity to um, tell people of a joke I heard about the theory of everything. At a comedy gig last week, I went to see a very good comedian called James Acaster, who uh, people may have heard of. I don't know. Very funny. And uh, at one point, he was describing how he went to see the theory of everything, and uh, he said he's got a very de- dry delivery. Talks like this. He said went to see the theory of everything at the weekend, or as I call it, look who's hawking. <laughs> Which now I, I can't get out of my head. <laughs> That's the case. Opens itself up to sequels. Look who's hawking too. <laughs> Look who's hawking now. Yeah. So yeah, I, I defy you to think of that film again without thinking of Look Who's Hawking, because I can't do it now. Well, up next, it's Kingsman, The Secret Service. If you're prepared to adapt, I'm offering you the opportunity to become a Kingsman agent. Is it? Of course not. Richmond Valentine has been experimenting with biological weaponry. What are you going to do? We're going to take out Valentine. Assemble the Kingsman. No stomach for violence. I see one drop of blood, that is me done. Can you get me out? Sorry, love. Gotta save the world. Son of a bitch! Based on the comic, Kingsman is about a spy organization which recruits an unrefined but promising street kid into the agency's ultra-competitive training program just as a global threat emerges from a twisted tech genius. And it's fair to say it's a star-studded cast with Colin Firth, Mark Strong, Star Wars' Mark Hamill... Michael Caine, Jack Davenport, and of course Samuel L. Jackson, um, as well as Taron Egerton, who plays the reprobate, as it were, Gary Unwin, or Eggsy, as he's called in the film. So, Owen, what did you think of this one? I liked it, which surprised me, actually, because um, I don't know if any of you saw the like trailer before seeing Kingsman. Mm. Um, I thought it looked terrible. I thought it looked like a really cheesy... Uh, you know, it's Matthew Vaughan, the guy who did Kick-Ass, and that's you know that's how I think of it. Matthew Vaughan, the guy who did Kick-Ass, mm-hmm. and you kind of expect it to be very team focused. It's based on a Mark Miller comic, which I didn't like the look of either. You know, with um, Jane Goldman's script, it's kind of it writes itself in in a way. However, just like Kick-Ass, which I also thought looked terrible from the trailer, it was just so much fun. I had mm. so much fun watching Kingsman. I, I like Colin Firth anyway, I think he's a great actor, but again, seeing him in the trailer, I thought, doesn't suit him, this sort of comedy role, not really interested in that. And yet, as this veteran secret agent, he absolutely nailed it. And um, I usually try to avoid spoilers, so it's quite nice to be here on Black Hole Cinema Podcast where I can talk about films without worrying about spoilers. The church scene, where he kills, oh. like, I don't know how many people it is, is... Brilliant phenomenal that is really shot. well shot and it's quite rightly become like everyone's favourite scene from the mm. film because it's, it's just fantastic um, but the whole film is kind of, it's got that edge to it where it's it seems like it's more adult than perhaps it really is where, it, where it's about like a, a young hoodlum called Eggsy who's learning to be a, a super spy you know it's a bit it's a bit cheesy in that it can't avoid being cheesy but it's fun it is really fun uh, I like Samuel L. Jackson's bad guy who can't stand the sight of blood and things yeah. like that. He's got, a, he's got yeah, his gimmick. Yeah. But he nails it. He absolutely nails his role as well. So, yeah, I mean, did you see this one as well, Tony? Was that was yes. that right? Did you like it? We both did. We went to um, we went up to Manchester to see it. Um, oh, yeah. IMAX. We saw it at the IMAX in Manchester, the, the fantastic IMAX there. And, uh, I, I mean, I, I did really enjoy it. I, uh, I thought it had certain flaws, but I, th- I thought it was very, very good. Yeah. Later, yeah. however, 
Well, I, I, it was lovely to watch actually because I, I I can't remember the last time I came out of the cinema with someone and I was so buzzing. <laughs> I absolutely bloody loved it. It was wicked. It was so nice to see someone that excited about a film. I think the last <laughs> film, the last film I walked, I, I I came out of feeling like that was the first time I saw Scott Pilgrim. Um, so I went to see. Cause I remember seeing it with you and a friend yeah. of ours, but that's yeah. the second time I saw it, mm. and the first time. <clears throat> And I walked out going, oh, this is great. And I think I was still buzzing for about hours after that film. I, I, I actually can, can't see flaws in it, but to be honest, I don't want to look for them. Mm. If it's I'm a very similar tone to Scott Pilgrim, isn't it? I guess mm. it is, there is. Yes, I mean, there's. I mean, there's a lot of. There's not a lot of, perhaps, self-aware, meta bending, as in mm. with um, Scott Pilgrim in terms of video games. But with um, this, there's a quite. There's a lot of self-aware. Stuff about spy tropes in general. I mean, there's a there's a great scene between Colin Firth and Samuel L. Jackson about when they're talking about um, Bond films and stuff, and it works really well. And um, Samuel L. Jackson, I thought, was amazing. And yeah. I think because I remember Tony was telling me that he's always wanted to play a Bond villain, mm. and I think this is my. And he said, I think he's played. This is his chance, or he mm. saw it as his chance, and he's yeah. pretty much in there like he's like a kid in a candy store. Yeah, he, he just he seems to have so much fun. But then again, that Samuel L. Jackson seems to. Have that area, have the majority of the roles he does. He seems to have fun doing them anyway. Mm-hmm. But this isn't the most fun I've seen him. Yeah, he's, he's having, having in ages. He's having a great time. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it was. Oh, news! Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Coming in, we just got um, outstanding British film at the Baftas. Any drum roll? Hang on, sorry, I'm picking up Edith Bowman by mistake. <laughs> it's 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 the theory of everything. Got the theory of everything as outstanding British film. Look who's talking. Yeah. Yes, Look Who's Hawking <laughs> is the British film. <laughs> Look Who's Hawking is now the uh, standing British film at the Baptist. Good, good, because it, it is a good film. It is. Yeah, just go back, go back to Kingsman, though. Um, it's it, yeah, I I was very impressed with it. I thought it was it was very stylistic. Stylistic. I thought it was very you know it knew its comic book roots. It was it was very it was very like Kickass in many ways in terms of how it approached you know a coming of age tale in many ways and and with that you know electric visceral kind of you know approach to it in that Matthew Vaughan is really good at that he's really good at, p- at blending a kind of down to earth comedy gritty comedy with some real bone crunching comic book visuals you know he's he, he, he toned that slightly down for X-Men because it was a bit more populist mm. it was still there a little bit but it, this is this is far more in line with Kick-Ass and with a bit more of that edge of Layer Cake as well even though Layer Cake is a different kind of film mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. got that kind of that you know that slight edge to something that in other hands would be a bit softer and a bit yeah. more what it is, however, is, is I, th- I thought was a bit predictable in its narrative. You know, I could I, I knew where it was going, except for one third act brave decision which they stuck at, and I was very impressed with it for that because I, I didn't expect. Um, and since we're you know in spoiler territory, I didn't expect Colin Firth to stay dead, and the fact he does, uh, the fact he doesn't yeah. turn up in a, in a coda or anything like that at the very end I thought was very very good and very brave and it and worked it, with it worked very well and it, it takes him off the table for sequels which is a surprise because he was marvellous he was brilliant he yeah. was this was the Bond film he never got chance to do yeah um, even though he was, I don't think he was ever seriously like going for the Bond role he was definitely considered back yeah. in the day but he was brilliant as Harry because he, he had that pure British gentlemanly distinguishedness yeah. that, my favourite yeah. scene is, is the bit in the bar in the bit, bit in the pub where at the very start, beginning, yeah. which, which is bookended, obviously at the end, but where he comes in, he goes, "Manners maketh man," and then he just <laughs> wipes their asses. Yeah. It was just, and it kind of reminded me of two things. The first one was perhaps how an Avengers film should have done. I mean, I, Colin Firth there, he pretty much like played very similar to John Steed, or how perhaps a modern day John Steed might have been. Oh, he'd, he'd be yeah. like a brilliant. And the second, and the second part, and the second film that reminded me of. And I remember saying this to Tony afterwards: is that if Christopher Nolan ever wanted to do a gritty reboot of Austin Powers, <laughs> <laughs> then because I think during the third act, um, like the ex ends up becoming the Kingsman agent, and he's in the suit and the glasses and everything, he's walking down the corridor. I'm like, you know what? It's like a young Austin Powers. Yeah, he does. But yeah. I think that that's the point, though, because really the whole film at the end. I mean, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is in a. He's in a base, you know. He's in, a, he's in an, Ar- a, a, an Alps base with lots of goons, with you know, semi-sawn-off uh, uh, machine guns in boiler suits running round, and you know, there's the, there's the damsel in distress. It's all the old Bondian tropes, um, and a, a lunatic villain with a bonkers plan, you know. Yeah. Uh, and a really, I mean, there's some brilliant subversiveness in there. It's like the bit where uh, um, he sets all the people to explode to the tune of 
Land of Hope and Glory, I think yeah. it is. And all the heads are blowing off, and it's Land of... Or whatever. It's brilliant, because it's proper, like... And then, basically, the whole final gag is uh, Eggsy making sure he gets back to do a woman at the Bond. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, that's the edge. That's what, that's what you wouldn't get. That's what the Bond films are alluded to, but this is it, it hits it a bit more on the nose. Yeah. But the fact he looks like Austin Powers, I don't think he's... He's unintentional, yeah. really. It, it, uh, yeah, I, I, I very much liked it. I very much liked it. it was, I loved it. Is there the danger that it's going to go down that route that if Matthew Vaughan doesn't return for the sequel, that it will go the same way as Kick-Ass 2? It, it could. It uh, could. Yeah. I, I, I think there's there's no... I think Matthew Vaughan will absolutely do one more of these, if not two, because he... Remember, he gave up doing Days of Future Past in order to make this, because um, mm. he, he loved it so much, and he's... He knows that he's never going to get to make a Bond film, mainly because the broccolis don't like him, because he's a bit too, you know, two fingers up. At, yeah, at, at I think I remember, I, remember, I remember saying he's like Brian Clough. The Brian Clough of, of directors. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. I thought was a brilliant yeah. Was, yeah, Brian Clough, if you're not aware, who's like, he was a football manager who was very famously known for pretty much making Nottingham Forest win everything. And as soon as he left, they didn't win anything. Well, he's else. the greatest England manager we never had. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's the whole thing, Matthew Vaughan is probably the greatest mm. Bond director, director we'll never have. Mm. You know, unless there's an about turn, he knows that, and this is basically his way of going. Well, fuck you. This is my Bond film, right? I'll yeah. do it myself. And you know, much as I love Bond and I love the direction Bond is going in, I think this is such a rip up of the spy genre while still being faithful to it at the same time, <coughs> lovingly knowing, yeah. knowingly winking to it and doing all the things. I think there's there's definitely you could definitely do a sequel. Uh, you could definitely do quite a few mm. pictures with it, and I I think he will, I th- and I think it will keep the quality going as long as it makes money. Obviously, you know. And let's hope it has. What did you guys think of that joke at the end? Because I know that that's what's been really controversial online. People saying it was crass and it didn't need to go as far as it did. With regards to the the princess and, you know, if you save the day, we could do it in the ass. And then, of course, (laughs) Eggsy saves the day and he runs back with a bottle of champagne. (laughs) I thought thought it was really good. I thought it really took that Bond joke that you know what Bond is doing. You know, when you see the sunset uh, in the background and they're rolling over on the crown. Christmas comes more than once a year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it took that joke and then pushed it further so that you you were left with no choice but to be shocked and yeah. Well, I laughed at it. I thought it was. It's funny a, it's, it's, I it's agree. I'm, I'm, but did, okay. you, did you guys think it was <clears throat> worth going that far with? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think because it, it was tonally in step with the film. You know, the film had been very subversive, subversive, and very you know rude in many ways. You yeah. know, and cheeky. It was a very cheeky film, likably cheeky. You know, that kind of you're pushing your luck but you're getting away with it because yeah, you know exactly. what you're doing so I think it was totally completely in step and you know if you if you get offended by that sort of stuff you're watching the wrong film really exactly. <laughs> okie okay, dokie okay. before we do a round up of the results from the BAFTA awards we'll do a quick rundown of last weekend's box office top 10 Ooh, hang on I'm we'll just go- hang on I'm seeing something through the binoculars I'm seeing the words visual effects award and that's going to Interstellar yeah, no surprise, really. No, yeah, not, yeah. Not surprise. Are the police on, on approach yet, by the way, for all this? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm expecting them to be going on, but we're going to hear our alarms. <laughs> Who's that peeping Tom? That peeping Matt? I've not seen anyone yet, but I've moved to another building. <laughs> I'm now. I'm, I'm, I'm currently in a subway. Um, actually, does anyone want? Actually, does anyone want anything while I'm here? Meatball marinara, please. Meatball marinara, marinara, yeah, but whatever. Meatball marijuana. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I'm, That's I'm, a very, very different kind of snack. The, the server, the is giving me funny looks. Mm. That's because he's stoned. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, um, okay. yeah, okay. Um, I'll have. Um, please move on, Okay, the UK um, box office top yes. 10 from last weekend at number 10, still hanging um, toast from yeah, fifth week, is Birdman. Um, number 9 is the lowest placing uh, new, released, uh, new release of this of last weekend. Uh, we're going to review it shortly, Inherent Vice. Um, can I have um, that with um, sweet corn, courgettes, and um, cucumbers, please? <laughs> Oh, sorry, I've got my mic still on, sorry. <laughs> Carry on. Number eight is Ex Macca. Number seven, in its tenth week now, is Paddington. Number six is definitely the weaker of the two Disney films in this list, is Into the Woods. Oh. Number Into five, it's still hanging on there, it's taken free. Oh. Don't Number get me started! <laughs> Number four, just picked up the best outstanding British film, is The Theory of Everything. Look who's talking. 
And the top three, uh, American Sniper, which is still in at number three for its third week. Live and just put um, face at that one. And the two new releases uh, from last weekend, which order would we reckon it's in? What do we reckon it's number one? Well, because we live in a Thank very... Because we live in a world of pain and stupidity, I think number one's Mordecai. <laughs> Oddly, that's not even in the top ten. Yes! Uh, <laughs> Thank you, God! Number, People listen number, to me! Yeah. Number two, and actually the, the, the grossing figures are very, very close for these two, is number two is Kingsman the Secret Service, uh, having taken just over £4 million and taking well, literally 50 grand more uh, at number one is Big Hero 6. Yeah. That's, that's the top ten. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just, I'm just coming in. Um, best report... I'm oh, sorry, I've got my for with... Uh, um, they're full of marijuana. Yeah. Yes, it's meatball marijuana, <laughs> you know, chicken temptation. Um, best supporting actor is J.K. Simmons for um, Whiplash. That's not my tempo. Mm, very. Mm-hmm. Best leading actor, however, went to Eddie Redmayne of The Theory of Everything. Well done, Eddie. Very good performance. Uh, best supporting actress is exactly who I thought it was. Patricia Arquette for Boyhood. Uh, while the best leading actress is also exactly who I thought it was, it's Julianne Moore for Still Alice. Still haven't seen either of those. I need to, Still Alice. I'm doing quite well. Still Alice isn't out till March. Yeah, we'll we get that later. Best original screenplay went to Wes Anderson for The Grand Budapest Hotel, yeah. while adapted screenplay went to Anthony McCartan for The Theory of Everything. Best animated film, you've either got Big Hero 6, The Box Trolls, or The Lego Movie. What do you think? Uh, t- 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 personally, now, I. I really love the Lego Movie, but I think I, I think I love Big Hero Six more. I do. Well, yeah. that's a shame because the Lego Movie one. So. Well, I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. But... <laughs> Still happy with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. As we've already said, outstanding British film went to the theory of everything. Uh, while the best film, do you want to hedge our bets now? The best film. Oh, you surely taken three. <laughs> <laughs> best film. of Mordecai. 2015. Spoiler alert: If you're watching this still because you might be watching it on you know, playback or whatever else we do use to catch up the TV whilst nowadays also, whilst also playing this podcast whilst watching yes. the BAFTAs really confusing that is isn't it uh, yeah. BAFTA 2015's best film um, as Owen said was Boyhood so that's the BAFTAs I think um, well, <laughs> fairly predictable wasn't it fairly yeah. predictable they're, they're, um, you know do, we, what, do you guys reckon that it's going to be a similar story at the Oscars in a few weeks I Absolutely, think Bird, yeah. I think Birdman will pick up a couple more than mm. it, it has in the BAFTAs. Yeah, I because uh, the thing is, is Boyhood's been suggested that obviously that was been the favourite, you know, the longest it's been the running favourite. Birdman obviously picking up at the Producers Guild Awards would suggest that that's probably going to pick up best film at the Oscars. But then you never really know, do you? It could, it could go. It's anyway, as we've said before, it's a really tight category this year in, in, in well in, in most of the big awards it is tight well the Oscars are usually who's given out the most free screeners to the most people yeah. <laughs> that's how the yeah. best picture works for the Oscars yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah we're not saying it's corrupt or anything but <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, up next uh, is a film that Rotten Tomatoes have called positively frustrating uh, it's Inherent Vice if it's a quiet night out at the beach and your ex-old lady suddenly out of nowhere shows up with a story about her current billionaire land developer boyfriend and his wife and her boyfriend and a plot to kidnap the billionaire and throw him in a loony bin. I need your help, Doc. Maybe you should just look the other way. But if you're Doc, it may all start to get a little peculiar after that. Michael Z. Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. Has vanished. So where would I uh, find him? He's technically Jewish, but wants to be a Nazi. And a girl don't necessarily want to get into difficulties with those folks. Do you have a spare picture I can borrow? Ah! Mm Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you're better off with the Nazis. Whoa. Are you all right? Am I? Are you? Ordinarily, we're the ones asking the questions. And your question is, which side am I on? Good question. Wrong answer. <laughs> uh, 
sorry. Um, oh, sorry, interjection from that um, sandwich that I'm eating. You're still there. We've just drawn the still awards. Getting... You don't need to be here anymore. Well, excuse me. We just had the British Contribution Cinema Award just have been announced. Oh, have we? Yes. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Yes. And from the police car, I mean, I can tell that it's the BBC Films that won it. You have no idea what that is. What? You have no idea what that is, dear. You, you well, just it's a police car. The BBC Films let you know what that was. Yes. <laughs> oh, hang on, hang, hang on, hang on. One of the police officers that just arrested me is telling me it's a film studio, apparently. Yeah, you really oh, have had a lot of marijuana, haven't yeah. you? Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice is set in 1970 as drug-fueled Los Angeles detective Larry Doc Sportella investigates the disappearance of a former girlfriend. Uh, it stars Joaquin Phoenix, Joss Brolin, Owen Wilson, and a host of other stars that aren't really worth mentioning, but they're out there if you want to find out who they are. Tony, you saw this one? I did, and I, I genuinely don't know if I like it or not. It, it's, a, it's a strange experience, because normally, you know, normally when you go and see a movie, especially a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, not necessarily that you know what you're getting, because he's, he's, he is the, the, one of the greatest auteurs of our age, but you tend to form an opinion as whether you like something or not. I, I haven't yet with Inherent Vice. I'm inclined to think that I, I'm impressed by, by what it's trying to do, but I wasn't particularly enamoured of it because it's it's incredibly hard film to, to, to explain because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but it doesn't make any sense knowingly. I think I, I, I said in my written review, I think it's the closest I think you could ever come to watching a film feeling like you were stoned without actually being stoned because it, the whole film basically is about a detective who is stoned all the way through you know Joaquin Phoenix is he's on pot constantly you know he's a PI who's looking into the um, back, the, the, the worries of his as he calls it his ex-old lady one of the things about this because it's adapted from Thomas Pynchon's novel and one of the greatest things is, is how florid the names of the characters are you know his ex-old lady is called Shasta Faye Hepworth there's characters in there called there's one as a Dr. Rudy Blacknoid there's a you know a, a Mickey Wolfman Bigfoot Bjornsson they're amazing some of the names are brilliant and they're so memorable but he's looking into his, his girlfriend so it's, it's a very much a noir it's a stone and noir you know it's a lot of people have said it, it owes a big debt to Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye in the 70s and it's and obviously Anderson is the modern Altman in many ways so you can you can see that parallel really it is. A, it is starts with the classic noir setup. You know, it's Bogey and Bacall. She she turns up. She's got a problem. She sets him off to solve it, and she weaves in and out of the picture as kind of like quite a, as quite like a seductive breeze, really haunting. And she fuels his whole quest to basically figure out. Because in essence, in, in a nutshell, she's help. Going, I'm in a nutshell. Thank you for that. Um, she's <laughs> she's dating a billionaire who um, apparently is going to be ripped off and possibly murdered by people she knows and she wants to stop that from happening so Doc ends up in this mad sort of entanglement of things like drug cartels pervy dentists undercover informants Aryan brotherhoods you know and it's, it's just this whole bizarre entanglement of, of, of characters and people who put them into this web of confusion and, and you, you the plot many people have said and Anderson's been asked about this the plot is incomprehensible and he said I know but that's because in a way the journey is incomprehensible it's, it, it, it is ultimately all about the doc and these, the, this, this woman played by Catherine Waterston who's new and she's fantastic she's, she's a real breakout star she is there's one really unorthodox sex scene about three quarters of the way in which is probably the sexiest thing you'll see in a while actually I, I would put money on it being sexier than anything in Fifty Shades of Grey next week it's just quite erotic and strange it's not it is funny but it's it's not a laugh out loud funny it is baggy one of the big things that Paul Thomas Anderson has done before is make films that are long like There Will Be Blood which for me is his greatest movie he's well over two hours but it's a phenomenal two hours whereas this could have been an hour and a half hour and forty and I think wouldn't have lost a step really it, it is baggy it does drag there are moments where you you kind of feel like the fact it's not in a way going anywhere and it's quite circulatory is frustrating. Yet then you'll be dragged back into the whole tone of it, and it, it it's still it's beautifully shot. It's really shot with a kind of seventies kind of tint to it and, and a grainy stock. In fact, they they burnt parts of the film to make it look grainier, apparently, and it's gorgeous. It looks amazing, and it really does fit that that moment. 
But it's it, it's this weird combination of PI story and just absurd, almost slapstick. There's this brilliant moment as well that Josh Brolin is great in this because he plays a very repressed... He's like a throwback to the 50s, in a way, because he's all buzz-cut hair, suits, this really angry, repressed detective. But there's this great moment that he improvised in the car where Doc's with him and he's basically um, sucking on a chocolate banana and he, it is basically he's giving head. Right on this black chocolate banana, and it's brilliant because and Doc's looking at it as if as if to say, "Are you sucking that banana off?" <laughs> it's, it's great. It's just these really absurdist moments that've got this river under. Because the whole thing, really, there's a lot of Anderson's films are about the death of of, of part American ways of life. You know, a lot of his films go back to that. He's fascinated by that. He's fascinated by the dying of eras, and and this is all about you know the death of counterculture and the death of the hippie sixties. And the birth of, of this, you know, it's just before all the Nixon stuff happened, all the paranoia of the 70s, all the, you know, the anger of, in the American people. Vietnam's going on, there's all this kind of undercurrent to it. And you can feel that throughout the film. And that's, that's important, that's powerful. And there are some really good performances, you know. Phoenix is good all the way through because he really underplays it and let, lets all these really mad characters kind of take over. For me, the, the, the performance I enjoyed the most was Martin Short. I can't remember the last time I saw Martin Short in a film. Um, but he plays this absolute perv of a dentist who's dressed like Austin Powers and he's hilarious he's only in like about two scenes but he's he's really good <laughs> so yeah it's a, it's a good cast it's well put together it looks amazing but it's very strange and I, I it really will need to be seen more than once to really get it under your skin I think and to, and to appreciate it more it's a grower it's a definite grower but it's not Anderson's best film, and I don't think it will ever quite be his best film. It's too, it's too freeform. I mean, they, they described it when they were filming it as organised chaos. You know, the way he filmed it was, was one camera quite often. It was a bit mad. And that kind of comes across. So, it's hard to describe. Okay, something a bit lighter now, as we review Big Hero 6. Alright, let me get this straight. A man in a kabuki mask attacked you with an army of miniature flying robots. Microbots? B-Max, tell them. Yes, officer. Ah! Microbots? Yeah, he was controlling them telepathically with a neurocranial transmitter. Come on! I am not fast. Yeah, no kidding! Go, 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 go! <laughs> So Mr. Kabuki was using ESP to attack you and Balloon Man. The first major animated release from Disney since the highly successful Frozen, Big Hero 6, tells the story of the special bond that develops between plus-size inflatable robot Baymax and prodigy hero Hamada, who teams up with a group of friends to form a band of high-tech heroes. And it's fair to say, Tony, you loved this one, didn't you? Yes, we both did, actually. We've, we've just come back from seeing it tonight, Latham and I. And yeah, I, I I really liked it. I, th- I thought it I thought it was I thought it was a lovely film. I thought it really sort of had the the spirit of of what animated films do right these yes. days. You know, the the Pixar had a lot of influences going back to The Incredibles. Mm. I, I felt I felt it was very much in, in that kind of vein. Really, it has a very it has a mix. You know, it's, yeah, between American and Japanese stylistics as well. I mean, it's set in San Fran, Tokyo. Yeah. Um, intentionally kind of blending those two worlds the lead character Hero is he's Japanese styled but he's not actually Japanese it's it's, no. it's a strange fusion works really well it does work really yeah, well yeah but you see the, the, the like you can see the cityscape and it's kind of a blend between Tokyo San Francisco so you've got trams going through yeah. and you have massive Japanese glass skyscraper yeah, kind of yeah, things yeah and like kanji writing on yeah. the side and stuff and it's a it's a nice stylistic choice and there's the and both. there's like the I can't remember what the building, the Japanese buildings are called, with the the red tapers on them. But you've got the version of the Golden Gate Bridge, mm. where yeah. um, instead of just the steel girders, you've got the, the Japanese style mm. old fat, fat samurai type. 
Yeah. Actually, like, yes. Samurai type things and stuff. It's really good. It, it is. It's, it looks beautiful. I mean, it's it's stunningly rendered. The animation is fantastic. And, and, you know, that sometimes people think is enough, and it's not. It's got to have a lot of heart to it. I mean, the other day I watched um, a film from a few years ago called Free Birds, which was all about time-travelling turkeys trying to stop Frank Thanksgiving. You're, yeah, I know. It, he's oh, like, God. Well, not that one. Why that have I not heard of this film? It, it's, it's not this as much before or after sense. the marijuana meatball. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it had been after, right? Because I might have enjoyed it more. And it was, I mean, apart from the fact that no one gives us stuff about Thanksgiving in Britain, it was just... Uh, uh, what was that for? Stuff. Oh, yeah, very good. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. But... Uh, you know, it was just—it was that kind of—it was well animated, but it didn't have any soul. You know, it didn't have any any. I didn't find it very fun. This has a hell of a lot of heart. You know, it's—it's mm-hmm. it's got that sense of that Pixar style of of real emotion and real you know storytelling and the, thematically. You know, I mean, we were discussing it after we came out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it's grief that the whole the whole idea of this film is loss. It's about a young lad coming to terms with a real devastating loss in his life, and he does it through. Baymax and Baymax is easily the the most wonderful new character I've seen in a long time. Yes, it's um it's very much it very much similar to um like the first like forty minutes of what of Wally where like you just basically see an almost silent character. Well, not a so, well, he's not silent. Baymax is not silent, but it's the way that the characters move. And Baymax has a fantastic physical element to him that he will just start moving and immediately you're laughing. I mean, the way that he moves and like walks, he's like hilarious. Yeah. The the way he interacts with everyone, he's hilarious. And when he starts talking, he talks. It's, it's just like you cannot. Everything he oh does dear. is laughing. Oh dear. Yeah. It's very very <laughs> an up chip, very very chipper and upbeat way of describing things. And but then still comes across as like a real lovable character as well, even though it's funny yeah. at the same time. And the, tra- and the transformation that happens, it's just it just works really well, and he still mm. steals the film. Bloody mm. baby, bloody baby. Have any of you seen um, The Iron Giant? I've never seen that. No, me neither, actually. Many people told me about it. Yeah, you would probably like that based on what you've just said about Big Hero 6, because they're very similar in turning this uh, kind of like mechanical... Uh, well, you know, you talked about it last week I think with Ex Machina and the um, the way that it tries to convince you that it's a real person and you sort mm. of forget with uh, Big Hero 6 that Baymax isn't a person yeah. you forget it's a, it's a robot it's a you know pretend computer thing and the Iron Giant's similar uh, in, the, in the way that it gets you to care about this mm. bag of nuts and bolts basically it mm. makes you, you you really feel like they've, they've put a lot of heart into, into Baymax Mm. And so when things happen to Baymax and when things happen to Hero, you really feel them. That's that's mm. one of the, the most really genuine do. parts of Big Hero Six is is the way you you feel for the characters. Yeah, and and Baymax is just he's got that beautiful like you know innocence about him, mm. that beautiful sort of complete kind of you know like naivety, isn't naivety, it? that childlike sort of oh dear. Are you okay? Yeah. You know, but it's it's played for comedy, and, yeah. and it's like you say, his movements are, you know, are just funny in, in themselves. There's, the, there's a great protracted joke. It's played. It's more than once where basically he tries to move, and he's in his high confined space, and it happens more than once. They film, <laughs> and he just moves, looks down, moves, slightly moves, then moves again, then has to stop. Moves. Yeah, he just looks as if to go. This isn't right. Um, how do I do this? <laughs> and he just squeezes it through. Yeah, and, it's, and, it's, and as I said before, it's just the same as. It's a very unique character. Got a very unique way of moving. Yeah. In the same way that Wally, like Wally's unique way of moving, in like when he goes around the the scrap heap and just starts moving stuff, it's immediately funny and lovely. Yeah. It's exactly the same reaction you get. He's like a sweet natured Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yes. You know, yes. It's, it's, you know, it's that kind of thing, and he, he just he looks distinctive and he's perfect as a toy. You know, it'll be, it'll be a perfect toy for people. Mm. And I, I, when we're towards the end, obviously it's got, it's got quite a heart wrenching ending, and it's, it, it plays it really well. And the whole scene, and again, spoilers if you haven't seen the film, but the whole scene of where Baymax basically sacrifices himself for Hero. There was next to us, there was a, a little girl on her dad's knee, and uh, you could hear her going, Oh, oh no, is he going to die? Like, is he going to die? And I, I was sitting there going, Oh, that's yeah. so but, No, I think it was, it was the mum, because the mum going, No, he's not, he's just going to stay there. But she said, yeah. No, no, he's because we're from Wolverhampton. She went, No, yeah, he's a robot. 
He's just going to stay there, but he can't go back with them. He can't go back with them, but he's a robot, don't worry. He's he's all right. But it was like... He'll be alive forever. He'll be alive. But it was... Her reaction just summed it up, you know. That's what the best animation does. It makes the children feel the drama. It makes them feel that... what it, it tells them what they need to understand from the film. That's when it's working well. That's what. That's when all films are working well, really. But animation just as when it's done well, there's a way of doing it that live yeah. action just can't hit. Yeah, and this the, did it. I the think. best. Yeah, I and it's it's very very good. I don't think it's the best animated film to do that kind of reaction. No, the best no. one. I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you what I think. It's close though. I'll tell you the the level that films have to try to beat. It's the last scene, the last but one scene in Toy Story Three. Where um, Andy goes and meets Bonnie, and then yeah. just oh, the characters, yeah, and oh. it's it's. But then again, that whole that whole film will probably strike a nerve with anyone over the age of seven, eighteen, mm. anyway. Cause it's mm. it's quite, mm. quite got some quite adult themes in that. Film that or well. the first five minutes of up. Oh, which, yes, which for me remain yeah. Yeah. that you I don't think that anyone's ever going to talk yeah, about so, it, yeah. up so powerful is that I actually started crying five minutes before the film yeah. was on last Christmas <laughs> <laughs> so I knew what was coming I was there I was there crying and I was there going and my mum I think my mum's next to me going you're right. right <laughs> but now I think yeah you know I don't, I don't think it's quite like powerful enough to make you cry but it certainly no. Big Hero 6 certainly makes you feel the, the relationship between Hero and Baymax which which is the whole point of it and this whole idea that this robot who essentially is just there to, to deliver healthcare you know he's a mm. mechanical idea is is actually providing that grief and that comfort for a boy who's going through loss and that's that's the whole idea of it you know there's some really touchy moments where he programs himself to understand the, the human emotion of loss and he just hugs Hero and he goes this is a this is an approach designed to provide comfort, yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's moments like that. It's you know it's, it's not just about that though. You know the film's doing other things. You know it's talking about the misuse of technology as well. That's a big thing for it. You know the villain is and the villain's quite a surprise reveal halfway through. You know, yeah, it, it takes you a little bit by surprise, and it does make sense in the context. But the whole idea of the villain is that he's misusing this basically nanotechnology that can create something from nothing, and it, and it is that. You know it's the it's the a little bit of the, the god complex in terms of people trying to you know overreach with the technology te- technology putting people at risk and that forms a big crux of how the whole thing ends. Alongside that, it's also riffing off su- the superhero genre as well. You know the the collection of the, well the, the six themselves are all a bit knowing knowingly in love with the idea of being superheroes. They're all nerds. Yeah, <laughs> we, we yeah. love the idea when they all get their costumes and they all have all these little powers that hero assembles for them. They can go out and they're loving it. They do love the idea of being out there and saving They're lives. And doing it. So there is that, you know, important. And obviously, you know, Marvel will be on this as well. So there is that, you know, it's not quite subversive towards comic films, but it is. It's knowingly playing in that world. Well, you mentioned obviously, um, you know, the Incredibles and, and and up, and you really wouldn't blame someone for thinking this is a Pixar film because it's it has got those themes and, and particularly the humour. You know, some of the dialogue mm. is so funny that you you know you wouldn't blame anybody thinking that they you know reckon it's a, a Pixar film really, regardless of whether it's you know Disney but those t- you know Disney animation it's it's a real step forward for that side of you know it's, it seems to be Pixar seems to bring out those type of stronger theme, uh, themed films mm. in, you know, in terms of animation whereas this kind of suggests that actually Disney you know the animated studios as it were are having a good go at themselves but there's a lot. There's, there's already the. Uh, I know it's very loosely based on a comic, but it's already got a groundings of sorts with what Marvel have done with the Big Hero Six comics. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a, a sort of history and some material there for them to work with. Whereas generally speaking, Pixar films are from scratch. Yeah. So I think that's more of an achievement in a way um, for them to to put an idea together, to make a coherent story, to put in all these adult themes that. Mm kids are, you know when I say adult themes I mean that something more than your typical kids film you know that you take your six year old to see and it mm. gets entertained by bright colours you know mm. there's actual tangible narratives that run through yeah. those it's not afraid um, to go dark either is it? It, it, it it does get quite dark at times you're thinking wow this is really yeah. it's I think fun. with the final act it does turn a little bit into traditional kids film mm. territory mm. where it's you know there's lots of action in it and this this stuff about growing and moving on from 
uh, a loss, a tragic loss, and then it turns it into a little bit like we're out to get the villain, yeah. which is fine because that suits the, the purpose of the story, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, the main thing about Big Hero Six for me was that it was just really funny. Yes, was it was. Thing. It was funny. It was it. It was very funny. It made us laugh a lot and la- out loud a lot as well. Yeah. But now, but as a whole package, I, th- I, th- I thought it was just a lovely film. I think it was one of those films that you know, genuinely, I think all ages can enjoy Big Hero Six. Mm. I really do. From your little ones, like that girl on on the knee in the in the, who couldn't have been more than about five, who understood and was sad by the end, and you know, up to old people who would get something out of you know the jokes it tells and the the themes it's it's dealing with. Mm-hmm. It was just lovely. It was a really lovely lovely film. Okay, something a bit more serious uh, for our final review of the week. Uh, it's Selma. He's got supporters. Detroit, New York, Los Angeles, inciting large-scale arrests and sympathy marches. I'm very aware of that, Mr. Hoover. What I do know is he's nonviolent. What I need to know right now, what's Martin Luther King about to do next? Mr. President, Dr. King is here. Mr. President, in the South, there have been thousands of racially motivated murders. We need your help, Dr. King. This thing is just going to have to wait. It cannot wait. You've got one big issue, i got a hundred and one. Summer it is. Here is the next great battle. Selma's the place, and they read it. Dr. King! I tell you, that white boy can hit. You will not tolerate agitators attempting to orchestrate a disturbance in this state. It is unacceptable that they use their power to keep us voiceless. Those that have gone before us say no more. Selma is a writing debut for Paul Webb and a directorial UK debut for Ava DuVernay, or as we're calling her, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it tells the story of the uh, chronicles of the three-month period in 1965 when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. led a dangerous campaign to secure equal right voting, uh, equal voting rights rather, in face of violent opposition. The epic march from Selma. Uh, to Montgomery culminated in President Johnson signing the Voting Rights Acts of 1965, one of the most significant victories for the civil rights movement. Tony, this is over to you again. Can I just point out, admittedly, that we're, we're not just calling her Dave for the sake of it. It is apparently Call Everyone Dave Day. So um, she's now Dave Duvernay, not because we're sexist. <laughs> it's just because of that. Yeah, Selma... Uh, I, I was, I was, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a, a really, really, really good film. On the face of it, you know, people might think it's a biopic of Martin Luther King, but that's that's really not the case. It it starts after his, you know, I have a dream speech, and it's um, set before he's uh, he wins the, the Nobel Prize, just before he wins the Nobel Peace Prize, and obviously before his death. Um, and it doesn't cover it doesn't cover his assassination, which he's, you know, most people know Martin Luther King. Was killed in 1968. Oh, spoilers! Spoilers. Sorry, um, the Titanic also <laughs> sunk. Oh, yeah, but yeah, it's <laughs> it was. It doesn't cover any of that, and it doesn't cover his early life, and and you know a lot of that stuff. It's about a very specific time frame and a very specific event that characterises who he is and the, the deeper issues involved in the film, which is all about you know black civil rights and you know f- uh, the, the idea of freedom and that very important time in the mid 60s in America where a lot of massive decisions were made that have influenced you know today it's also a little bit sobering that Selma came out not a matter of months after Ferguson because Mm. Ferguson is proof of the fact that we haven't come as far as we thought we have because Ferguson effectively is exactly what happens in Selma you know in in Selma in 1965 the old fashioned white deep south police and authorities and a lot of the people in this Alabama place did not want black people to have the vote even though by that point it was law they had got the vote by law but actual bureaucracy and you know racist people in the deep south wouldn't actually let them register to vote so it was a a loophole that they were exploiting and the big crusade that Martin Luther King is on in this film is to go to Lyndon, Lyndon B. Johnson and say to him look you know and I know that this law means jack all if these people down there are still denying us the right to vote. So he, 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 it's all about him really antagonising the government to try and get them 
to, to do what he wants and to pass this all-encompassing law which gives them the legal right to be able to vote and will prosecute anyone who doesn't let them. So it becomes a standoff, really. It has been, it's been criticised, actually, for being a bit too harsh on Johnson. and Because in, in this, he's a bit more of a roadblock to Martin Luther King than apparently he was in, in real life. In real life, he was very supportive, and he did, they, they had a really good relationship, and he, it all went through fairly easily. In the film, Tom Wilkinson... And Tom Wilkinson is, is really good as Lyndon B. Johnson. He looks the part... He's got that hangdog look, great accent. He's really good as like a beat-down president who's in the middle of the Vietnam War kicking off. He's got lots of other stuff going on. And to him, race rights in the Deep South aren't a big problem. You know, he doesn't want to know in this film. So he's kind of trying to push King away. So then King is coming back and saying, look, you can't ignore this. It's, it's important. So it's this battle of wills, really. And, along, and, so, and alongside that, then, you've just got this powder cake that centres on Selma. And it's really, really well put together. It's It's got a lot of emotion to it. It's got a lot of power. It's saying some really important things. It's very well written. Duvernay actually rewrote the script, like 90% of the script originally. And amazingly, one of the most amazing things I found out about this, the speeches that, that um, David Oyelowo does as Martin Luther King in this aren't actually his real speeches. They were rewritten because the actual speeches he did are owned by Steven Spielberg, of all people. Right, because for a long time there's been a biopic in the works that Paul Greengrass thinks going to do. That he's the Warner Brothers have got the rights to his speeches, so she basically wrote facsimiles that sound like his speeches, and they're so good. They have his his syntax down perfectly. This you know this kind of lyrical kind of way he, he spoke, and it's amazing. And that really comes out. It's a great script. It's it's the, the scenes in Selma are brutal. They're really brutal and really well vividly done. And he's so good as Martin Luther King he, he just he owns it well, how he hasn't got an Oscar nomination it's a it's a travesty it really is he so deserves a nod for this because he's I meant to ask you about that because it's only been nominated for best picture hasn't it mm. and one of the minor category I mean is that really like absurd or is it actually quite fair I know, I've got, no I, I think it deserved more I think it deserved okay. more I think it deserved it it certainly deserved a nod for Best Actor. Um, yeah, I think I think that's more than surprise. Actually, it's not just the Oscars. It's that obviously Oyelowo also got snubbed at the Baftas as well. Mm. You know, being a Brit, yeah. you think he would have had a shout, really. Yeah, uh, it, it's it is weird. It, maybe it is because of of the tensions in real life with all this. I don't know. Maybe that's got maybe it's hitting a bit too close to home right now. It could be. You know, it's it's timed. I know it wasn't intentionally timed to coincide with things, but it feels weirdly in step with a lot of the stuff that's been going on in the last year in America and maybe they just do it you know what the Oscars are like they don't like controversy do they they, they, they shy away from this kind of stuff you know they like things to be fairly, fairly safe it's been given a tokenistic nomination I think no, no, it, wouldn't, it will never win in a million years it deserves to be in there it's, it's, it's a better film than American Sniper for a start and really he's put, Bradley Cooper was perfectly fine in that film but David Aiello is so much better for this he deserves that spot at least but it's just I just it was it just really hit me. It really got to me. I thought I thought it I thought it was it was very very impressively done, and I, I cared, you know, about the whole thing. I think you know if it, if it loses one thing, it's perhaps that it, it only kind of skirts a little bit into his into his his life. Really, there's this hint, you know, uh, Carmody Jogo plays his wife, and she's she's very good in it as well. And there's this hint of, of his infidelity because he did have he wasn't a perfect man. He did have affairs and things like that, where obviously he's he's quite sainted in many ways, you know, and he's loved by people. But there's a hint of that under there, but that's not really dug into, really. It's more about the ideological battle between, you know, these two forces and all the little things going on in between. But that comes across very well, and it, it's, it says a lot. I, 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 was, I was very impressed by it, and I think... I'm not sure it's best picture. You know, it's not as good as Whiplash, which, you know, I'm starting to think might deserve the best picture award, to be quite honest. Yeah, I'm um, glad you mentioned Whiplash, because yeah. I saw that one a fortnight ago, and... It was just amazing. Yes. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to steal the review from Selma, but that film—it had me coming out like I was, I was clutching, you know, the yeah. arms of my seat. My heart was pounding. It was just, and I, I, I actually had to sit outside in the um, in in the foyer of the theatre, which I've never ever done yeah. for a film ever. I had to sit for a good ten minutes, just 
kind of regaining my composure because it was so intense, yeah. you know. And and that's actually split people. I know people that have gone, oh, it was just too intense, and I was just like, throw some balls, man, come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, but it was just, you know mind-blowingly amazing and actually you know if we if we were talking you know we talked about it with leslie last week you know if we were talking about films that don't win oscars actually are, are better films than you know i fully suspect this one mm. won't win the oscar but actually you know in a, in a in a fair world where oscars aren't so corrupt uh, which is a controversial term to describe them if they weren't so controversial then maybe this would actually be in for a shout but and it you know fully would deserve to be because it is as far as I'm concerned, having seen all of them bar Selma, it is the best film of the crop. Yeah, although I think Leyden, um earlier this weekend saw Night at the Museum 3. You know, we're not going to go to that level, you know, of, of film. You'll <laughs> be robbed, snubbed at the fact, snubbed at the Oscars. But no, I think, yeah, Selma doesn't quite punch to that level, but it's... Um, of Night in the Museum 3. Of Night at the Museum 3, but it's... It's a very short piece of work, and I, I think that um, I think it's important right now. I think it's an important film to see because, like I say, it, it does highlight that even though we've come a long way with race relations, we have still got a long way to go, really. So, having seen all five films this week, Tony, what was your favourite? What would you recommend for people? Um, Selma, definitely. Selma's the best one of, of the five I've seen. Um, but then I'd still I would definitely recommend Kingsman I would definitely recommend um, Big Hero 6 as well they're great films but Selma wins it for me Owen oh, ones that you've seen what would be your film of the week well it definitely wasn't Jupiter Ascended <laughs> <laughs> what really <laughs> no yeah. probably, probably Kingsman I had the most fun with Kingsman I think mm-hmm and aside from Night of the Museum 3 what, what would you say <laughs> oh man it's a tricky one this yeah I mean Kingsman but that didn't even come close to <laughs> no, yeah, no definitely Kings, Kingsman I think is probably one of the best films I've seen for the last few years and you know what Age of Ultron is going to be bloody brilliant to beat that so yeah. far mm. yeah, yeah. So. And, and, and as I mentioned I've, I've unfortunately not seen anything this week so Whiplash was the most recent one um, for me and, and that well blows everything else out of the water yeah. as far as I'm concerned and I'm, I'm, I still think that two weeks on so okay well it's time to wrap up for this week you can find me on Twitter at Dan Thomas Taylor. I'm sure you can also find Owen. What, what's your handle? Uh, on Twitter is at ohughes86. Tony? At Black Hole Writer. And finally, Laven? Zanmat. X and Matt. Lovely. So it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Tony. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Matt. <laughs> Alright, this is um, Officer Gentle. I've um, suddenly got your friend uh, Matthew Bartholomew Latham uh, currently, in, currently under arrest for uh, indecent exposure in a subway. Um, who is this? <laughs> Owen. I can't follow that. Who do oh. I follow that? No, I, just... I should have put you first. <laughs> I'll just simply say bye. Thanks and bye. <laughs> Thank you very much. Have a happy BAFTA week, um, and we'll see you this time next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.